As I said, um, happy Resurrection Sunday. If you have your Bible today, I would like you to turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. Would be Matthew chapter 27, and we will begin right near the end at verse 57. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57, and we're going to read the entire resurrection account. And as I was thinking about things this week, I was struck how different life is today than it was a year ago at this time. And if you just think about it, a year ago at Easter, we weren't doing this. Churches all over the country and all over the world were celebrating the resurrection of Christ virtually. And tragically, many of the churches shut down and, and many of them have not opened back up ever since uh, the whole coronavirus thing hit. And, um, and, and it's, it's, been, it's been kind of breathtaking to, to think about how much has changed in the last year. Some of us, we've had job changes. Maybe we've had, uh, I mean, definitely we've had culture changes. The way people view the world has changed. Maybe we've had health changes, some family changes, both good and bad. Everything, it seems like, there's, there's just a level of, of uncertainty. And it seems like every time you turn on the news, has anybody almost quit watching the news altogether? I mean, I, it, it seems like every time you turn on the news, there's something crazy going on. And it seems like, the people that are running the show meet together and they're like, you know what, it was pretty crazy yesterday. What can we do to top that today? And it just seems like every day it's something new, something crazier, something uh, just over the top with a whole new batch of lunacy. And everywhere we, we turn, it seems like things are shaken. Things are not the way that they used to be. Things are uncomfortable and uncertain and changing. People are anxious. They're worried about the future. But there's one thing even though everything else seems to be changing, even though everything else seems un uncertain, there's one thing that I want you to know that remains the same, and that is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Now, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead, and listen, he is still raised. He didn't rise to die again. His body doesn't lie moldering in a, in a Middle Eastern grave somewhere. Jesus rose from the dead, and he's alive forevermore. So if you found Matthew 27, we're going to read about that. We're going to start in verse 57, stand if you're able, in honor of God's word. And we're going to read down through uh, the first part of chapter 28. <clears throat> now Jesus, just so you know where we are, Jesus has been crucified. In verse 57, when it was evening, there came a, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember when, the, when he was alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. See, they knew what Jesus had said. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard they set a seal on the stone. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. 
The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. Notice past tense. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there you will see me. Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled, together, assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. Thank you. may be seated. <clears throat> The first thing I want you to see in our text today is that the the resurrection is the essential element of the Christian faith. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the essential element of the Christian faith. Now the Bible tells us that all over the place, but especially in places like 1 Corinthians 15, Paul labors the point that that the, the, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the cornerstone of our faith. It's not some it's not some uh, outside thing that you can believe or not believe. It is the hallmark of Christianity. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now when it says that He delivered it to them as of first importance, He's not saying he's not talking about chronology, like you, you need to believe this first, and then you need to believe that, and then you need to believe something after that. What he's saying is, this is the number one thing, this is the most important thing, it is of first importance. It's not chronology, this, then this, then this. It is this, that's the foundation. This is the thing you must believe in order to be a Christian. In fact, you cannot be a Christian and disbelieve the resurrection. In fact, Romans 10, 9, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and what? And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. You cannot be saved, you cannot be a Christian, and disbelieve in the resurrection of Jesus. So, so this matter of, of the resurrection is not something of no importance. It's not something of small importance. It is the most important thing in all of Christianity. All of Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection. Now, there are three things about the resurrection I want you to see in our text today. The first thing I want you to see here is the evidence for the resurrection. The evidence for the resurrection. Now, the fact of the matter is, the grave is empty. That's something that... that the, even the earliest opponents of Christianity, they never disputed the fact that the grave was empty. The, and, and, and somebody has to figure out, they have to come up with a reason, how did it get that way? Now some have suggested that, some have suggested that this, the disciples were behind this and it was some kind of a farce that they pulled over on the world. Well, as we read down through this, I, I want you to see there are mountains of evidence for the resurrection. Now I know, you say, Pastor, I've seen people on Discovery Channel. And they say that this didn't happen. They say this is some kind of a story that was borrowed from, from ancient Egyptian uh, uh, legends and stuff like that. 
Listen, I can't, I can't help what dimwits say, and I can't, I can't uh, deal with people who are intellectually dishonest. That's on them. What I can do is I can give you the facts, and if you don't like them, well, facts are facts whether you like them or not. Now, now just think, if this is a farce, if this is a farce that the disciples are playing on the world, what would that look like? Well, for one, they would have been the one to testify about Jesus' death. Right? If Jesus was really alive on the cross, they took him down, he was still living, still living, still breathing, he still had blood coursing through his veins, they would have been the ones to testify about his death. They would have said, yep, yeah, he's dead, move along, nothing to see here, we can assure you this man is dead. Just, just move right along, just take our word for it. Number two, they would have put him, they wouldn't have put him in a tomb, or if they would have, it would have been easily accessible. Right? They would not have put something heavy in the way that they would have to move in order to get to the body. Or if they put him in some place, if they, if they put him in a, a, a cave, for instance. They would have done it in, in one where there were... You've been in caves, right? And sometimes you go down, you're underground, all of a sudden you feel a breeze. You ever done that? Because sometimes naturally occurring caves will have tunnels and passageways that go off all these different directions. And sometimes there's an entrance to a cave here. And, and sometimes there's an entrance to the same cave a mile away. They would have put him in some place where they would have had access to the body. If, if they did block off the entrance, they'd have access to the body still. Or maybe they would put him in a tomb that had other bodies in it. You've seen the, you've seen the charlatans on, the, uh, uh, on, on TV where they put the item under the cup. And then they move the cup around. Well, they, if, if, they were, if they were trying to fool people, they, they may put him in a tomb that had other bodies in it. So then, while people weren't looking, they could switch the bodies around and just like those cups. Say, oh, see, he's not here, but really he's back in the back corner. I mean, they, they, they would have made certain, at the very least, that the people, they wouldn't have put a guard there, especially people that were hostile to Jesus. And if they, if they did have guards there, they would be people who were friendly to the cause. But I want you to look at what happened. One of Jesus' followers went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. You say, see, you've already, you've already shot yourself in the foot because you said they would have been the ones to testify that he was dead. And here's Joseph Arimathea. The Bible says right here that he is a follower of Jesus. Well, Mark chapter 15, verses 44 and 45 record a little detail that, that Matthew doesn't record. In those verses, it says, Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time. So in, just to kind of orient you, in, in Mark's gospel, Joseph of Arimathea has come to Pilate. Jesus' body is still on the cross. He goes to Pilate. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, not Joseph, he granted the body to Joseph. Now, who was the centurion? The centurion was a, a military leader in the Roman army. They were the ones that were crucifying Jesus. The guy that was there at the crucifixion said, yep, he's dead. Verse 60 says that he was laid in a new tomb that was hewn out of the stone. This was not a naturally occurring cave. This was something, uh, now, now over there they have a lot of rocks as well. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. He had he had a, a cavernous room dug out in solid stone to be buried in. There was no other passageway. There was one way in and one way out. So the disciples, they can't come in a back way and, and, and pull the body out. 
There's one way in, one way out. Number two, it was new. There weren't any other bodies in there. They couldn't switch Jesus around with somebody else's body. It's Jesus and nobody else. And then, what did Joseph do? He put a really big rock in the way. Now, sometimes, have you ever... I, these rocks up here on, on top of this hill, they kill me. I was, and I, I probably told this story, but one time I was out digging. Actually, I was working in my garden. And I was, I was working it up, I was tilling it, and I hit a rock in that garden. And that's not, a, that's not unusual because I hit one every year that's, that's pretty good size. But this year I hit it. And it just, my tiller just did this. You ever, if, if you till it out here in Lawrence County or in, in this area, you know what, what that's doing. It's just bouncing, hitting the rock, hitting the rock, bouncing and bouncing, making all kinds of racket. And finally I thought, you know what, this must be a biggin'. I'm going to, I stopped the tiller and I started digging. And I dug and I dug and the rock just grew. And I never did get to the bottom of it. Finally I decided, you know what, I've planted stuff in this area for years I'm going to fill the hole back in. It's a lot easier to fill the hole in than to deal with that rock. And some of those rocks, they may not look that heavy, but you know what I'm talking about. If you've tried to move them, they may be this big, and you think, oh, that's nothing, and you grab hold of it, and it's, you, you can't move it. Now, if you are trying to, uh, to, to pull one, a fast one over on the world, you don't put something that's almost I- impossible to move in the way. You know what? You... You, you get some sticks, and you bind them up, and you say, oh, this is my door. And, and that way you can just move it to the side. You can do your thing and, and put it back. You don't put a big rock in the way. Now, in verses 62 and 63, if you look in your Bible, not only were the Romans convinced that he was dead, his enemies, the ones that had him put to death, the Jewish, the Jewish leaders, they said he was dead. Look at what it says in verses 62 and 63. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate, and they said, Sir, we remember what, uh, that when he was still alive, as opposed to now when he is dead, this deceiver said, After three days I'm going to rise again. The Romans said he was dead. The people that were in charge of putting him to death said he was dead. The Jewish leaders who called for his crucifixion, who put the guards in place, who did all these things, they said he was dead. This, these are not people who are friendly to the cause. Verses 65 and 66, a detachment of Roman soldiers were sent to guard the tomb. Again, these are the people that crucified Jesus. They are not his friends. And on top of that, it was sealed. Now, if you'll notice, it says that they put a guard and then they sealed the stone. What that means, um, we, we have a couple of instances of this in the Bible. There's this, and, and when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, it says that the stone was sealed then too. Evidently, what probably happened was they, the, the rock was in place, and they probably put some kind of a, a cord all the way around it. And then they fastened one end of the cord and the other end of the cord to the, to the wall, the, 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 the rock face of the hill. And they fastened that with clay or wax and imprinted the, Romans, uh, the, the governor's uh, ring into that wax. So if you did anything, if you moved that stone even a little bit, it would be obvious. You broke the seal. Not only would it show that you, what you'd done, but you were messing with the Roman government. And they were all too happy to crucify people. So, looking bad for the home team, right? And I look at this, and I'm reminded of Psalm 2. The enemies of God and His Christ 
raged. They plotted, they planned, they took their, they took their stand against God and His anointed, and what does God do? He said, oh my, oh my, what, am I, what are we going to do? They put a seal around the stone. What did He do? The Bible says in, Roman, in, in Psalm 2, God sits in the heavens and He laughs. He scoffs at them, He holds them in derision. As if the things that they're going to do are going to stop God. Like they can even hinder Almighty God from doing what he wanted. These people were trying to thwart any claim of resurrection. And in, and in the process, they gave the most convincing proofs of the resurrection. Because the, the disciples, they're hiding out. They're not the ones who are, who are doing all this. These are the enemies of Christ. They hated him. They were doing their power, everything in their power to prevent it. As one commentator noted, to guard against the disciples... Was need, was, was, uh, it, it, was, it was folly because it was needless. To guard against the power of God was folly because it was fruitless. These people tried to prevent the resurrection, and they couldn't do it. They did everything necessary to secure the tomb. And it looked like they'd won. But then Sunday came. Then Sunday rolled around. The two Marys go to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus... They didn't have time to do it the day of, of the crucifixion. And in the meantime, a severe earthquake occurred. An angel descended from heaven, moved the stone away, didn't care about any seals, didn't care about any cords, didn't care about any guards. He rolled the stone away, he sat down on the stone, and he waited for Jesus. He welcomed Jesus. Now these guards, the Bible says that they became like dead men. They were powerless. And it's ironic that the live men sent to guard the dead man, became like dead men when the dead man came to life. So, so these men, and, and I take this to mean that they fainted, most likely. The angel comes down, rolls the stone away, the guards fall to the ground as if dead, and out walks Jesus, a victorious king. Satan is defeated. Death has lost its sting. The grave's power is broken. Jesus is alive. Jesus came out of the tomb alive and well and will forever be alive and well. So the women show up. They've got mourner's robes on. They should have had party hats on waiting for Jesus to come out. They get there. Jesus has already come out. And the the angel greets them and says, I know what you're doing. You're looking for the crucified one. You're looking for Jesus. You're looking for the, 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 the dead He's alive. He's not here. There's the empty tomb. Have a look for yourself. Now listen, the grave was not empty. It was not open for Jesus to get out. It was open so people could get in. Because if it was closed, we could say, oh, well, Jesus rose from the dead. Hey, let me get in and see. No, that's all right. We don't want to disturb the body. There would always be the question mark. No, the grave was open so people could see there's nobody there. The grave is empty. It was empty then, and it's empty today. Jesus conquered the grave. Now, that's one thing that, that the enemies of Christ, they, they, they'll admit, but they try to explain away. Now, the second thing I want you to see, and that at least naturally into the second point, and that is excitement. Excitement. These women didn't come to welcome Jesus as he exited the grave. They came to mourn. And, and when, they saw, when they saw what had happened... They saw the angel and heard his words. And they, they were reminded of the things that Jesus had said. They were overcome with the obvious miracle of what had happened. 
And following the, the angel's direction, they ran in order to tell the disciples the good news. They were, the, the Bible says they were filled with fear and great joy. And who can blame them? And as they were going, they met the risen Christ. They saw him, they fell at his feet, and they worshipped him. And think about the joy that had overcome these women. Their Lord had risen from the dead. Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, your Lord has risen from the dead. Now we know that, don't we? We know that as, as, as Christians. But how rarely do we think about it? How rarely does that actually change the way that we live? How often do we come to church and we sing the songs of the faith and we don't put our hearts into it? We hear the word of God uh, preached and we let our minds wander. Would that we had even a, a, a portion, even just a pinch of the excitement that these women had that their Lord was alive. So we, we've, we've had, we've had the, uh, the, the evidence, we've had the excitement. The last thing I want you to see are the excuses. The excuses. Now, when we think about uh, people that are going to tell the, good, the, the news about Jesus' resurrection, we think about the women, and rightly so, but listen, there's another group that went to tell the story of Jesus. Now, if, if you'll look at verse 11, chapter 28, verse 11, while they were on their way, the women are going to tell the, the good news. Some of the guard went as well, only they went to the city, and they reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And you know the story. The Bible says they bribed them, say that the disciples came and stole the body, and, and we'll keep you safe. Now, I just want you to think about this story they told. Just, just, just be reasonable about things. First, if the soldiers were not completely convinced of what had happened, they wouldn't have gone to tell these people. Right? Because this is an extraordinary claim. If I come to you and said a dead man came to life, that's why he's out of the grave, and I, I was there to, to, to guard it, to make sure his body didn't come out of the grave and it's not in the grave, what would you think? You'd say, you're crazy. Either you're crazy, or you've been drinking something, or smoking something, or you fell asleep. Right? That's what you'd think. But these men were so convinced of what had happened, they went to tell these religious leaders, the very people who had, who had put them in place to stop the body from coming out of the grave. Second, if they were not convinced that what they would say to these people was going to strike a chord with them, they wouldn't have gone. Because these religious leaders knew this, this, this stuff that Jesus had said about rising from the dead. And they knew that this was going to strike a chord with them. And that's why they went and told. Third, the story that they told, understand this, the story they told is the very, the, the very reason they were put into place to begin with. Literally, the best lie they could come up with was that the disciples stole the body. And literally, the reason they were there was to keep the disciples from stealing the body. That was the very best they could come up with. Fourth, and again, their story has more holes in it than a slice of Swiss cheese. Think about what they said. They said, while we were sleeping, the disciples came and stole the body. Now think about it. We don't know how many guards were there, but they were guarding it day and night. So they would have, there would have been several of them on, on shifts, keeping watch. 
what is the likelihood of every single one of them out in the open going to sleep at the same time? I'd say that's about a zero percent. Say, well, now, if I stop moving, I go to sleep. Okay, well, what about this? If you were a Roman soldier and you were found to be sleeping while on guard, guess what? You were executed. Then all of a sudden you'd stay awake, couldn't you? You would find a way to stay awake. And even if the other guy was keeping watch and you were asleep, you'd count on him to be keeping watch. Because he was the one that's going to be getting his head cut off or he's the one going to be getting crucified, not you. But every single one of them supposedly went to sleep at the same time when they knew that they would be put to death if they did that. And think about it. You ever tried moving something heavy? It's usually not quiet, is it? It makes noise. And if it doesn't make noise, you make noise. You grunt. You strain. What is the likelihood that all of these people sent to guard the tomb, at the tomb, fell asleep, despite the fact that they would be put to death if the Romans found out, they slept all the way through this band of believers that came and rolled the stone away. All the grunts, all the popping and cracking of their joints, popping and cracking of, of the stones that are under the big rock. What are the chances of that? You just think about that. And then, what's the likelihood that they slept all the while, the disciples went in. The Bible and other Gospels records that they went in and saw the linen wrappings. What's the likelihood that not only did they sleep, even though they would be put to death if they did so, and they all slept through the stone being moved, they all slept through the disciples going in and trying to move a corpse and unwrap it, and then sleep while the disciples walked the body out, they were hauling the body out through their midst, and nobody in town saw a thing. They, they didn't see the disciples carrying a dead body through town. Not a one. What's the likelihood of that? I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's zero. And what about this? You say, Pastor, that's all circumstantial. What about this? What did, what did these guards say? Look at your Bibles. What was the story they were to say? The disciples came and stole the body while we were asleep, right? If they were asleep, how do they know who stole the body? Seriously. I mean, the, the very story they told shows on its face it's a falsehood. You say, but people believed it even back then. Yeah. People believe the world's flat and people come from space and all kinds of things. Just because people believe it doesn't mean they have any sense. People, these people, the religious leaders knew about the resurrection before any of, of, of us, before any of the story got out. They knew about it. They knew about the angel. They knew about Jesus rising from the dead. Did they believe it? Well, it's not that they disbelieved the fact, but they rejected the truth. They, they didn't want to have anything to do with God. And so, so people that hate God are going to grasp at straws. Listen, none of those things happened. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead according to the scriptures. It is an historical fact. It's not a fiction. It's a fact. And Christian Jesus is still alive. He sits enthroned in heaven. 
the rulers of this age and every age, they may rage, they may take their stand against him, they may take counsel with one another, and they may shake their fists in the, in the face of God, thinking that they're going to thwart his plans. And what does God do? The Bible says that he laughs. He scoffs at them. Who do they think they are? He takes the plans. Here's, here's how ironic he is. He'll take the plans meant to stop the resurrection, to stop any report of a resurrection, and he turned it to make it show beyond a reasonable, of a reasonable doubt the resurrection happened. Because the disciples, the friends of Jesus, people that were sympathetic to the cause, they were not involved in any of that. It was his enemies. And Jesus rose from the dead. Folks, you can believe the resurrection. And listen, there are people who will attack the resurrection. And rightly so. Because if they are enemies of Christianity, if they don't like Christianity, if they think it's a farce, if they think that the Christians are so mean and so narrow and all these different things, they'll attack the resurrection because without the resurrection, Christianity is no different than any other religion. It's not. It's not any different from, from any religion. But listen, the fact that Jesus is raised sets Christianity apart. Muhammad can't help anybody. Allah can't help anybody. Buddha can't help anybody. Charles says Russell can't help anybody. Uh, Brigham Young can't help anybody. Joseph Smith can't help anybody. You know why? Because they're dead. They died. They couldn't overcome the grave themselves. They can't help us overcome the grave. But Jesus conquered the grave. And therefore, because he lives we can live too. Because he overcame the grave, we too, as believers, will one day conquer the grave. There's hope found only in one person, that's Jesus Christ. He is the only one who's risen from the dead and is alive forevermore. And the Bible says that if you've never done so, you have one job. If you've never repented of your sin, if you never turned to God in faith, the Bible gives us a command. It's not a suggestion, not a request. The Bible says that God has commanded all men, all people everywhere to repent. And if you've never done that, I call on you today to repent of your sin. That's the whole reason Jesus went to the cross. He bore the wrath of God against sin. He died in the place of sinners. That those who would trust in him will have everlasting life. Not will hopefully have, not most of them will have. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Jesus says, all that the Father gives me, I don't lose a single one. It's not that you're going to put your faith in him and hope you get to heaven. If you put your faith in him, you will get to heaven. That's what Jesus said. If you've never done so, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Listen, we are surrounded by a culture, by friends and co-workers, family members who hate the name of Jesus, who reject Jesus Christ, who will scoff at the resurrection, and they'll say nobody rose from the dead. 
Yeah, except the time that that one guy named Jesus did. Does it happen often? No. That's why it's called a miracle. Say it'd be impossible for him to do so. It'd be impossible for him to stay dead. Because death is the wages of sin. Jesus was sinless. Yes, he bore our sins, but they were not his own. It would have been impossible for him to stay dead. Jesus rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. And if you've never trusted in this risen Christ, do that today. I'm not going to embarrass you and visit after the service. Listen, this is the key, essential, basic, foundational truth of Christianity. Jesus rose from the dead. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would lay this truth to each of our hearts. And God, if there's somebody here who's a believer and their faith is wavering, they've heard so many so many um, counterclaims, so many people that are um, embarrassed about the, uh, the Scripture's claim of the resurrection. They've had so many people that have scoffed at it. Maybe their faith is starting to waver. God, I pray that you would encourage them. Lord, we thank you that we don't follow cleverly devised tales, but we serve a risen Savior. And God, if there's somebody here who's never uh, trusted in Christ, I pray that you would uh, draw them to yourself, help them to see Christ in his glory, and become your child today. In Jesus' name, amen.